everybody. This is J.P. Ross. You are listening to In the Seam. Welcome back. I hope that you've heard some of our other podcasts. If you haven't, why don't you go ahead and subscribe and see if uh, there's some interesting stuff for you. Today we have James Taylor. James is an old friend of mine. I guess young adult uh, friends. We were both in our 20s. A little backstory. I was a small business entrepreneur all the way back to high school. And um, just right out of high school, I started a collection agency to fund uh, making a fly shop and creating a fly rod company. So um, I did I did have to have people that would make calls and try to collect bad debt. And James Taylor out in uh, Idaho now was uh, one of the guys that I hired, and we became great friends. Now, it wasn't a big company. There were only a few of us that worked there, but it was enough to launch the fly shop. And he talks about that a little bit. James is going to talk a little bit about uh, catching high-elevation golden trout in Idaho and Wyoming. He gives some great advice here. This is a terrific uh, educational moment for anyone that's thinking about trying to catch golden trout in high-elevation lakes. I would imagine that some of his information is actually uh, worthy for any uh, type of high-elevation lake uh, fishing. So um, as the story goes, uh, you'll hear that James actually was trying to rush back to his parents' place and got stuck on a mud flat. And uh, I'll try to put some pictures in here somehow, either on Facebook or uh, or somehow you guys can see he took a picture of the of the boat stuck in the mud. And I was going to re-record the podcast because there was some audio issues and stuff, but I was like, uh, once again, in the heat of the moment, it's just a lot of fun. So you'll hear what James has to say and... Uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Here it comes. Jordan? James? How are you? I am terrific. How are you? I am um, appropriately stuck on a mud flat at low tide outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Fish with a big uh, spot tail. And I went up this creek that I've been up a million times, but hasn't been... Uh, for a couple of years and I am literally high and dry. Oh my God. The well, tide's come in right about right about when we're over and uh, you know I'm sure I'll get made. <laughs> well um, yeah, so I'm I'm in a beautiful place for this <laughs> Oh my God. I, I can't believe that you're like just hanging out there. Uh, you're in the boat, obviously. I'm the boat. Yeah. Oh I'm going to try and crouch down because it's a little windy. Okay. Well, now that's fine. Well, here we are. Can with, you hear me okay? I can. It's a little better now. That's good. So okay. here we are with James Taylor, uh, a good friend of mine. Welcome to In the Seam, James. Great to be with you. So I got to tell you, first, I have to tell you a story. Um, about a week and a half ago, I left work early and decided that I was going to go fish the Ariskany Creek over uh, yeah. off, of, off of 12B over near where we used to fish together sometimes, right? Because you were going to Hamilton. Yep. So I put my wading gear and stuff on and I start walking down river and... I'm all happy. It's, it's really nice. It's like, it was like, November, it was early November, maybe November 6th or something like that. It was like 70 degrees out. It was just, it was awesome. And I come, I, I come around the corner and I hear Corey Hart sunglasses at night, like playing downriver. Okay. 
And I'm like, what the hell? Right. So I keep walking, walking closer to the music. I come around the bend and there are a bunch of college kids with uh, a fold out table, a keg playing beer pong in their boxer shorts. And I startled them and, the, and they're all from Hamilton college drinking and playing beer pong next to the river. So I, that's, that's I, a, I, I immediately six, thought, six feet apart. I'm sure <laughs> I immediately thought of you. Okay. And I, and they like turned around and looked at me and kind of like jumped, you know, like, you know, like when you jump, but you don't leave the ground and they, they're like, Hey, hi. And I said, how are you guys doing? I said, can I do, can you do me a favor? I said, one of my best friends and I used to fish this place. I said, I don't want to incriminate you. Can you guys turn around and can I take a picture of you? And they did. And I, so I got a picture I'm going to share with you of these kids. Okay. And I start walking away and they go, Hey, um, do you want a beer? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, you know, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you five bucks for a beer. Cause you guys are in college and stuff, you know, and everything. And they're like, well, how about $5 for two beers? <laughs> and I said, I hope you guys are taking economics <laughs> class. But so I bought two Miller lights for five bucks and, um, I thought of you. I, I went down river and, and I knew we had a podcast coming up and I was so excited. So um, welcome to in the seam, James, why don't you give us a, a quick, I've been asking everybody kind of give us a quick bio on yourself, where you are now, where you came from, what you like to do just a real quickie. So I grew up uh, on the East coast, um, mostly fishing saltwater on the Chesapeake Bay and, uh, in South Carolina with my mom and my dad and my sister. Um, when I was in high school, my dad gave me a fly rod and said, this should teach you some patience, which I still need. And from that moment on, it was kind of all about trout for me. Um, and growing up in Washington, D.C., I didn't have many opportunities to chase trout. And so it really wasn't until college where I was able to really – uh, learn how to catch trout of all species. And in part, that was from meeting you, Jordan, and kind of just being a, a shop rat and, um, and hanging around you and your buddies. And now, um, fast forward kind of 20 years, um, I live in Sun Valley, Idaho with my wife and my 18-month-old. And uh, whenever I have the opportunity to get away, I'm chasing trout again. I didn't know you were in Idaho. I thought you were still in California. No, nope. I left 18 months ago. Uh, um, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to work remote, as is my wife. And so we are in Sun Valley, Idaho, and loving it. Wow. Awesome. And I'm just in awe of how many different spots and different types of trout there are to catch. And, you know, it's, I think it's a really underrated place. Uh, to go fishing. I mean, there's freestones, tailwaters, still water, backcountry, rivers and lakes. I mean, it, it really does have it all. And what I didn't think it had uh, moving there was size. And over the past year, I've seen some really big fish. Trout, you're talking? Yep. And what species? Rainbows, browns, bull trout, um, and golden trout. And golden trout, right? Which is the topic 
right? I think we're going to name this this podcast on Golden Pod. So um, this is why we have you here is we're going to be talking about uh, golden trout. So there's a little bit about you and me that you touched upon, you know, but um, I don't, how did we meet with you coming in the store? I think it was, right? I think it was maybe through an ad where you were looking for someone to work in the collection agency. I think you're right. Supporting, supporting the rent. Um, <laughs> and all I wanted to do is work in the, was working the fly shop, but you had me, you know, chasing down bills. I did. I know. I'm sorry, but, but it was, but you were a huge part of, of us having uh, finances to, to invest back into, into the fly shop and stuff. So I do appreciate you very much. You were a big part of that. So thank you. Um, Can I tell a JP story? Oh, I want a story. Yeah, please incriminate all, right. all you want. Uh, this is my, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, you uh, had invited me up to your place in the Adirondacks and I can't remember which lake it is and maybe you don't even want to name it. Um, but we went up there for a weekend of fishing for landlocked salmon. I've never done that. Um, and we got up there and, you know, it's central New York or upstate New York and the weather is what it is. And, um, I, I thought, you know, I guess we're just going to go back because it's snowing pretty hard and nope, we're going out. Uh, and the first thing that we had to do was shovel about a foot and a half of snow out of your boat, off the dock, and then we were off, and we went out to an Adirondack flat and got out of the boat with our waders and were sight fishing for landlocks for the afternoon. And that was I still and I showed you a picture actually when I moved from California to Idaho. Um, I found the picture of the two of us on the dock and one of the pictures with me holding up one of these, you know, 18, 19 inch landlocks. And that was a day I'll always remember. That was an awesome day of fishing. <laughs> that was my birthday. And then we went to the Red Dog Tavern. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to this day, I've never found a hot sauce that's hotter than the homemade hot sauce at the Red Dog Tavern. And I can't <laughs> wait to go back there. <laughs> Awesome wings, awesome hot sauce. Yes. Almost was, as good as the, almost as good as what? Fishing. <laughs> it was good fishing. We had a good time. You know, those fish are gone. You can barely find those fish now. Yeah. And I talked to the DEC because they actually were they were putting fry in the in the lake and they've stopped doing it. And I told them I said, you know, I'll happily do uh research and, and monitor them and and uh, catch some smallmouth and and tiger musky and stuff, and you know, uh, within the limits of the law, catch them and gut them and and look to see if they're eating the fry and all this stuff. And they said, ah, oh, we really don't have the resources, so it's not going to happen. It's a shame. So you, that era is gone, James. But I do remember, and those are really fond memories, especially shoveling the boat. <laughs> I, re I specifically do remember, I don't know if you can hear me right now, but I remember walking on the boat with my felt, I can hear you. with my felt boots on and the felt was, the snow was sticking to the felt on the fiberglass boat. And I remember almost, almost flipped, like slipping out of the boat because it was slippery as hell. Remember? Yep. 
I do remember, and I've been rubber for a long time, and I just went back to felt, and I thought about that before I bought my felt boots about a month ago. We get a lot of snow. It's already, you know, it's like in upstate New York or central New York. You get a lot of snow in Idaho, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. felt and snow don't really mix. No. Well, so, <clears throat> James, this this podcast is about golden trout and and the adventures that you've had with them and i would imagine i don't even know if it's true that how you found out that there are golden trout it does this go back to earlier times in your life um did you do any research all that stuff so can you talk a little bit about like how you learn about this fish and stuff and and you and maybe like your first trip absolutely absolutely and it and it does any any trip to go catch golden trout starts with a lot of research and, um, and I like to do that kind of stuff. And it also starts with some level of conditioning, uh, because golden trout live in hard to get to places. Um, but my first trip really started on a trip, which is how most awesome fishing trips start, um, with an idea while you're on a fishing trip, cause you can't wait to get to the next fishing trip. And I was in British Columbia with a really good friend of mine, Charles, and he gave me a copy of this book and said, you know, I think next year we got to do a big backcountry trip um, and you should read this book. And anybody that's serious about backcountry fly fishing, whether it's still water or streams or rivers, um, and it doesn't even matter if it's, you know, what kind of trout it is, they got to read Rich Ostoff's Fly Fishing in the Rocky Mountain Backcountry. Um, it's the Bible, um, and it's kind of a how-to from, you know, what you need to bring to be prepared to how do you identify the trophy potential of a lake when you're hiking by it, uh, and then, you know, what are the best flies for the different species, um, and, if you, and he's got a lot of little stories. It's not just an instructional, um, and he talks about different places throughout the western U.S., um, and you, you, you read the book and you come away with, you know, a sense for this guy's kind of passion for backpacking for big golden trout. Um, and he talks about a couple of lakes in his book as an example of how you assess trophy potential. Um, he doesn't name the lakes at all, but he, he gives a couple clues, um, so we knew what state it was in we knew kind of the elevation there's you know three lakes in a chain and if you read the book you know i'm not disclosing anything but um my friend charles and i just became obsessed with this idea of catching golden trout that you could measure in pounds instead of inches and so um you know i I gotta tip my hat mostly to charles because he's i got kind of burned out on the research pretty early in the process but he stuck with it and uh, um he identified what he thought was this lake um it was a 35 mile hike one way over three different passes and he was hell-bent on going in july because that's kind of when you want to get to these lakes kind of the bookends of the summer um if you want to sight fish to them because they'll just go into the depths in the middle of the summer in the middle of their summer which is relatively late for you know people at you know sea level um and we trained and researched and 
committed to this trip and um 2008 so a long time ago that was my first trip um and it was one that was uh fraught with a bunch of different uh issues along the way including you know major river crossings that we probably shouldn't have done um a day spent hiking through snow and post holing charles didn't even have pants you know we 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 learned a lot on on that trip in terms of backcountry preparedness um but we found the lake and um it was very fast action fishing for sight fishing for really big goldens for the two days that we were there it was absolutely incredible and um one of the coolest things that came out of that trip was that we got to the lake we actually saw two other guys fishing which in any other type of a backcountry fly fishing mission would be like the worst thing that you'd ever see after hiking 35 miles but uh we met the guys they were super cool and to this day they are some of our best fishing buddies and um this past summer i actually did two backpacking trips um one of which was specifically for Goldens, and we can talk about that later. But um, it was a great trip, and um, I just love everything that has to do with a Golden Trout trip because it means you're you're going into super high elevation. That's the only place that they live, usually above nine thousand five hundred feet. Um, they're really hard to get to lakes, so you're not going to see a lot of people, um, and the places that they live are, you know, by by all of those definitions, beautiful. Um, so you, you guys prepared, and I just want to, you said 35 miles. Is that right? 35 miles? You guys hiked? 32 to 35, depending on, 32 to 35, um, depending on, I mean, it was probably even more because we had to backtrack because we lost our way a couple times, but uh, yes, and it was over kind of the 4th of July, so one of the passes that we went over um, was snowy on the way up, and it was sort of like I could climb over a snowy boulder and pass my bag up to Charles, and then he climbs up the next one, and, you know, we, we sort of half a day was spent doing that, then we got to the top, and, you know, it was all snow on the other side, and frozen lakes, and we're like, oh, yeah, it was it was definitely a test of mental fortitude. At least it was for me. Um, but then we got down to some lower elevation. Then we got to go up to higher elevation. And then ultimately down to some lower elevation. And, so know, we were off trail for probably sixty percent of this trip, um, and so we really didn't know if we were going the right way because we were pretty bad. I, I'd say I'm a little bit better, but we were definitely very bad at orientation. Uh, on that trip, you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, but the coolest memory, one of the coolest memories I have of the trip is um, walking kind of down this little feeder creek that was, you know, something that I could straddle or, or, or jump across. And we had no idea if this was the lake that we had read about. I mean, you know, there's nothing on the internet. There's a little bit more now on it, but we had really no idea. And I go to jump across this little tiny sliver of a creek and I look down and there's an 18 inch golden trout looking up at me. And I'm like, oh. okay, I think we found it. My God. Amazing. Now from a, from a navigation standpoint and uh, you know, wayfinding, what, what did you use to get there? 
Um, well, I wanted to, being the, at the time, California Silicon Valley guy, use technology. Charles was old school with maps. Um, I'd say um, my, uh, I hadn't calibrated my Garmin, and so it was like 10 degrees off. Um, and for, so really, it was just using good old-fashioned maps. But now, you know, for right or for wrong, there's a ton of apps out there. Um, and there's, you know, the Garmin technology has gotten way better. <clears throat> so, you know, having a hard copy map is kind of like a necessity. But, you know, as long as you can keep your phone alive or have a charger, the app technology with the Topo map app or you know there's a million apps out there for it is mm -hmm. really good now and so yeah. that's super helpful and gives you a sense of confidence which you know when you're really deep in the back country is it's kind of nice to have so james i'm curious of stuff that you carried that you found out was really not necessary and really was necessary there's got to be some stuff that on subsequent trips you're like this is this is baloney. I don't need this. This is absolutely essential. What are essential items and what are like, you know, you maybe gimmicky stuff that you have now realized you don't need. <laughs> so this is definitely a personal preference question. Uh, and I will say that there are many other people that are better anglers, better survivalists, and, and more dedicated to the, to the golden hunt than I am. Um, so I am honored to be on this, but, uh, you know, I have definitely tried to slim down what I take, uh, on the first trip. And, and I think you may remember this. I, I love food and I love to cook. And so I like planned out meals. Like I was actually going to be able to cook after hiking, you know, 15 miles in a day with a huge pack on my back. Uh, so that was the first thing to go is like, I go with a jet boil. Um, it's actually called an MSR reactor. It's literally something that heats water very fast. And I pour that into a backpacker's pantry or you pick the dehydrated food company of your choice. And that's the food that I eat. And that's at night. Otherwise during the day, it's like, beef jerky and uh, triscuits, literally. Maybe a power bar here or there. Okay. That's it. That was the first thing to go, and that saves a ton of, a ton of weight. <laughs> the other thing is like bear spray. Depending on where you are, you should probably have it. Um, if I go with my buddy Kendall, you know, he's got bear spray. Um, he also likes to carry a gun if he's in Wyoming because um, they got like really bad grizzly bear problems depending on where you are you know in idaho where i live i don't bring anything just because i don't think i'm going to see anything um and if i were to go by myself i probably wouldn't bring anything even if i was in wyoming uh and then just as few articles of clothing as humanly possible but always two rods because invariably you're going to break one or invariably you're going to want to have two setups. So when I go, I have a five weight with a floating line and I'm hoping to catch everything on dries. And sometimes that happens. Like 
one trip I took this summer, everything was on a little bionic ant pattern. Everything. Five different species of trout. It was amazing. But some trips, like the next trip I did, nothing was on top. Everything was on a nymph of some variety or a streamer. Um, and for that, I would have a six weight and a sink tip line. 200 grain sink tip is, is what I've had. And then my buddy Kendall, he doesn't even bring a dry fly rod. He brings like three or four different reels with all sorts of different grains of sink tips um, and five and six weights. And that's how he rolls for everything that's like still water where he knows he's not going to fish a stream. And most of the trips that I do um, are not fishing streams. They're, they're fishing lakes. So you, even though you don't, you run into some of the streams along the way. And the main reason is that I said, don't you, don't you run into, you do, um, but what I, yep, you you definitely do. And depending on where I am, I will, um, you know, typically between the fact that like time is tight and you have like a very specific objective and you're trying to like push as hard and as fast as you can to get there, it just doesn't lend itself to having like a ton of extra time, you know, to, to poke around. Um, but also like, you know, usually the big fish are going to be in the lakes or they're going to be in the inlets and the outlets. And what I've learned from fishing with some of my buddies that are again, super knowledgeable about this, the trophy lakes are not going to have inlets or outlets. That's why they're trophy lakes. And typically a lot of these lakes, uh, you know, they got stocked for the fish aren't really reproduced, and because of that you know anybody listening to this you know has been to a lake and um that lake has like kind of skinny or like snaky looking fish and a lot of them it's probably because they have an inlet and an outlet and they're able to reproduce with such ferocity that they can't the, the food isn't sustainable for the number of fish, small amount of food source, and they just can't get big. Versus if you stumble upon, you know, one of these few gems of a lake that have fewer fish, but they're bigger fish. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. So you were cutting in and out uh, just a tiny little bit, but what you what I thought I heard you saying was, is kind of in recap on this, is that you you're not fishing streams and stuff along the way because you're focused on getting there and that you have learned that you target these kind of landlocked lakes and that they have bigger fish in them. Yes. And you know, yes, exactly. You're looking for lakes that, you know, you don't think have much of an inflow or an outflow. And you're looking for lakes that are deep enough that don't win or kill. Because obviously, if they're not deep, they're going to freeze, you know, with some level of depth that may kill the fish because they're, because um, it gets so cold. Right. Okay. So, have you been skunked? Um, you know, on a, if I go fish the rivers around town where I live, yeah, I get skunked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but typically, uh 
on the lake trips that I've been to, um, I fortunately have not been. Right. Um, so I, know, I, depends, like, you know, if you're talking about catching zero fish, no, I have not been scoping. Right. Okay. But, you know, I've definitely gone to some lakes where, you know, this summer I went to the Wind River Range is probably my favorite place to go backpacking. And if you've never been there, even if you don't fish and even if you do get skunk, it's an incredible place to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's got so many, thousands of lakes and there are many of them are above tree line. Um, and that's where, in my opinion, probably the biggest golden trout in the country are going to be caught. Um, you know, fish that are state records in every single other state would not even approach a conversation about a record if caught in the state of Wyoming. I mean, the, the, the goldens there just get so big. Um, and that's why if I have, you know, enough days in my, uh, you know, time off bucket with the family, that's where I'm going to go. Um, because that's that's the best place to go but you got to put in the effort i mean i hike nine miles in and like you're just not going to catch a golden trout by hiking nine miles you know it's gonna the conversation is going to start around 15. um but that's not to say that you can't have an awesome trip in the winds which my buddy kendall and i did um by going you know eight or nine miles in and we went to three lakes and one was just as fast a fishing as you could possibly have for brook trout i mean you would you would not go hungry if if you if you live there um and they were all kind of cookie cutter 12 to 16 inches um and they ate on top and they moved you know five ten feet for the fly and then we went down to another lake and we caught a brook trout a lake trout a rainbow trout cutthroat trout and a brown trout all on the same lake which was incredible Yes. Uh, and then we hiked up to this one other lake and it just looked incredible. And it, everything about it looked like this is a trophy lake. This is a trophy lake. Uh, I caught one cutthroat. It was a nice cutthroat. It was like 14 or 15 inches. Um, but we saw some huge ones roll. That, and they were, of course, right outside of our, our <laughs> casting reach. Yeah, um, that happens. So that was, you know... That was one where I felt like we kind of got skunked because we knew that there were huge fish in there. And as we were leaving, we actually like ran into these guys. The only time we saw people on this trip. And of course they recognized my buddy because he has a fly fishing YouTube channel, which like, I didn't think anybody watched. And he was like, no, nobody, nobody watches this. And I'm like, you just got recognized in the middle of nowhere fishing for your YouTube channel. But they had caught a 23 inch cut bow at that lake the day before so i felt like i kind of got skunked but i'm excited to maybe one day go back to that lake because i know there's you know, big fish in it that is awesome so james you hike you, you go 30 some odd miles in you've been eating food out of a bag don't don't you think you deserve to have one fish and throw it on the on the fire i mean do you release them all? What's the story? We released them all. Um, and it's a good question. Um, you know, I have definitely kept trout. Um, but I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could kill a golden trout, not voluntarily. Um, and, and certainly not one that was 
you know, big and old. Some people may say that's why you should, but um, no, and I, I'm, I, I can't remember. I mean, the last time I remember keeping a fish was a cutthroat in the Bob Marshall wilderness. Um, and it was great. And they were, you know, there were, this was in 2000 and maybe six or seven, uh, maybe 2005. I feel like they're kind of like a, not a dime a dozen, but that, that fishery, that drainage is not hurting for fish population or size. So um, I felt that, you know, morally, I, I was, I was okay with taking mm-hmm. a couple fish on that trip, but, <laughs> um, for the most part, I mean, he, here, even, you know, when I, I, I like to eat fish for sure, especially salt water, um, you know, and the state fish is the red fish, uh, here in South Carolina, which is where I am right now. And, you know, my, you, there's a slot size, specific slot size that you can keep fish in. It's like 15 to 23 inches. Um, and I always throw them back and my dad yells at me every time I do it. I'm just like, you know, I caught it. I'm allowed to do with it what I want. So if you want to keep one and you, you know, you want to eat it or give it to me to eat, that's, that's your prerogative. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I have an 18 month old daughter and I think it would be really cool if she could, you know, go fish off the end of the dock and like catch fish for fun and, you know, go to some of these streams and lakes. fish for fun uh, especially sensitive you know trout are uh when when people when i see people you know catching and, and killing them um especially when it's out of regulation and i saw that like a week ago some guy in a pretty remote little stream that i like to fish you know get a stringer full of pretty nice fish and like you know i know that's not legal i don't even know what the regulations are because i don't you know i don't I release all my fish but I'm sure that it's not like four per person per day. Right. I hear you. Well, I, you know, part of that's just my opinion, you know? No, I, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting and good by the way, that you feel like you put the time in and that these things are precious and you're really there appreciating them. And in fact, that might be the ultimate Testament of, of, uh, of appreciation is that you work so hard to get in there. They are edible, right? But you decide, you know what? I really care about this thing a lot and I don't want to kill it and eat it. I just want to release it. And that means you really love them, you know? And I think that that's, I think that's cool. So um, I, I've got one, I got a final question for you. And if we have time and we don't get cut off, I got a bonus question for you. Um, so how has this defined you? What has this done for you in regards to your life and, and, and creating who you are today, these adventures and experiences? Well, at my wedding, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, uh, his entire toast was about, my love for fishing (laughs) and actually within the family uh they don't even call me james anymore they just call me fish cuckoo i'm like what fish cuckoo what does that mean he's like oh you're just crazy for fishing fish cuckoo (laughs) um 
So it has, um, you know, that's what that's definitely what people think of me. I like to go fishing a lot. Um, I mean, I love it because for me, for my eye, like the most beautiful places in the world are awesome places to go fishing, travel. And I love to eat and I love to, you know, experiencing is that you can kind of go on trips within the country, outside the country uh, that will allow you to kind of get out and explore different cultures, um, see different places. And at the same time, like, potentially be really cool places to go fishing and that's led me to i mean you know i convinced my wife to go to south america on our honeymoon um and you know we got to go fishing on that trip i went to new zealand with my buddy charles that i went on that you know big golden trip um and session i mean i took a few years off i had kind of for my ankle skiing um and then i just got you know kind of busy otherwise um and so it was it was several years that i took off from um chasing goldens and i got back into it this summer um in kind of a major way and i'm already looking forward to and i even know where i'm going to go next summer uh, and so for me, it just, you know, kind of not that I need something to look forward to, but I always look forward to that. Um, and it's motivating because, you know, I'm not just going to like get off the couch or hop out of my office chair and go, you know, try and catch a golden trout, do the research. You got to know where you're going to go. You got to plan your route and then you got to be. Well, are you, are you still there? Is your audio good? Be able to get there. And I'm not, you know, getting to some of these spots. Jordan? Yeah, I lost you for a second. You're back. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. So, James, we're going to we're going to get cut off here um in a little bit, but so James, I didn't have anything really to do with you fishing and becoming who you are, but um I feel like I was a part of your life that um that helped feed your addiction, you know. Absolutely. So I appreciate that very much. I appreciate you uh, very much. I think this is great. I actually, I took your Trekking for Goldens uh, article off the site because it had been up there a while. I think we might want to put that up there and maybe maybe commission you to do another one. So it might be fun. Well, I, I did do some, I, I did dust that off uh in preparation for this call and it was really fun to kind of relive it well i'm gonna put it before i put this podcast up i'm gonna put that one back up and i will say i think people are gonna go nuts hearing this podcast and they're gonna want more information from you so maybe now that you're kind of you know i'm gonna say settling down a little bit maybe you will realize that you have a lot to give and people are gonna want to 
hear from you. You don't have to give the secrets away in regards to where to go, but you've got a lot of knowledge. And now that you're a father, I think you know what I'm talking about. It feels good to share. Absolutely. So, and listen, I, uh, I would love to chat with anybody that wants to talk about it. Um, you know, not very many people told me the lakes. Um, I probably won't do, uh, I'll probably do the same and, and not share specifics because honestly, like that's part of the fun. That's part of the mission is like doing it on your own. And mm -hmm. like, it's gotten easier over time. Like the guy, like I said, Rich Ostoff, uh, who I, I really regard as kind of the godfather of, of golden trout fly fishing. I mean, that guy, was hitchhiking from Wisconsin in college to the wind river range. And he'd spent like three months there just like checking out lakes. That's awesome. I mean, you know, that guy put his time in. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that guy I've called and I've told him about some lakes uh, just because I feel like, you know, he's, he's in a position where he's, he's owed that. Um, but the fun part is honestly doing the research, getting ready, and then just like getting out there. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you. There's a lot, there's a lot more that we can talk about, but I'm going to, I'm going to sign off from this one, James Taylor. Thank you very much. I think we probably can have another one of Bet. these and talk a little bit more, but I hope that you get off that mud flat. How's the tide looking? <laughs> uh, you know, I thought it was coming in. I think it's dropped a few inches. So. <laughs> Well, that's life. So, you know, now's the time to just sit back and I think. Can see my, I can see my parents' house. Exactly. It's a, <laughs> it's a nice meditative That's good. Now, and there are, I'm, I'm near some oysters, so I might go gather some oysters. Nice. Well, there's opportunity in, in, uh, in situations like this. So there you go. Thanks, James. Thanks for being on this podcast. Thanks, and Jordan. Thanks for being my you friend. Bet. That was fun. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. look forward to the next one. You got Take it. Take care. Bye.